Hello and welcome once again to Viton Council Live. This is episode number four. The Viton Council is an invite-only organization for professionals to be able to publish content, connect, and excel. Really excited to have all of you here. We help our members grow and launch their careers in business, and we're here every single week at 12 p.m. U.S. Central Time on LinkedIn Live. And so here's what's happening this week that you need to know about. The Wall Street Journal broke the news this morning that Transmit Live LLC, which is an advertising company, has actually been working to be able to bring picture-in-picture ads to live streaming video. Streaming TV has been on the rise, especially with the onset of the pandemic where people are forced to stay at home. That's all of us right now. But marketers have really struggled to be able to find new options to be able to effectively reach streaming viewers uh, that are watching movies, TVs, and sports in particular, So Transmit raised $7.8 million in a Series A funding round in November, and they've been able to quadruple their annual revenue every single year since 2018. The company expects to be able to generate $40 million in revenue in 2021. As Pfizer raced to develop a COVID-19 vaccine, the pharmaceutical giant has also been working on rebranding. And this has been quiet behind the scenes. Last week, though, the company launched its first major rebrand in decades with a new logo. And their effort is to be able to shift from a diversified healthcare giant to a more focused brand, focused on being able to create prescriptions and drugs and vaccines that prevent and cure diseases. Chief Executive Albert Bula said that with, quote, Pfizer's increased commitment to breakthrough in science, now is the time to be able to update our identity to be able to reflect that reality, end quote. The pandemic has also kept many families away from each other during the holidays. Now many are planning for a socially distant Super Bowl. Not quite much as fun. In a morning consult poll conducted this month, only 16% of U.S. adults said that they're likely to host or attend a gathering to watch the NFL's big game. 57% of U.S. adults said that they plan or are likely to watch the Super Bowl. This is down from 64% ahead of the big game last year. Gen Zers and millennials, in a no surprise, plan to watch the game more than three times as likely to do so with an outside group than baby boomers who are planning to watch. Three in four are likely to watch the Super Bowl, don't expect to get together for this year's game. The 2021 Super Bowl, though, is set to be unlike any others thanks to the pandemic, and it's going to change the way that the game is executed on the ground. This has also had an impact, though, on the brands that are advertising during the big game. So multiple brands that performed well financially over the last year are opting to advertise in the Super Bowl for the first time. And these brands include car make, uh, car marketplace Vroom, lawn service company Scott's Miracle Grow, and freelancer marketplace Fiverr. Vroom was the first brand to reveal its 2021 spot. It's called Dealership Pain, which shows a humorous take of the pains of buying a car at a dealership. It's going to show a man that's going to be tortured by a car salesman before the screen switches to a scene where he's on his lawn watching the car that he ordered on Vroom just appear. The ad was created by Agency of Record Anomaly. And after a brief pause following county health department recommendations, Hollywood's major studios are getting cameras rolling again. As LA's public health officials are calling for the city's current COVID-19 surge, 10 people are testing positive for the virus every single minute in Los Angeles. But Hollywood's top studios have begun their return to production in LA. 
The industry had paused much of its filming around the holidays and in early January, but now a handful of projects are said to be getting back up and running. Productions going to include CBS's All Rise, Showtime's Shameless, and, and Netflix's You, which are all produced by Warner Brothers. Also redeeming production, or redeeming production, though, are ABC's The Goldbergs, Netflix Atypical, both made by Sony, and five different scripted series from CBS Studios, including NCIS, NCIS Los Angeles, Why Women Kill, SEAL Team, and Diary of a Future President. Every single week on this show, we're going to be bringing on business leaders and recruiters to be able to share their career strategies, mindsets, and tips. On this week's show, I'm proud to be able and welcome, humbled to be able to bring on Maya Grossman, who's a marketing executive with 15 years of experience taking products to market and driving growth for companies like Microsoft and Google. She's also a speaker, career coach, and author of Invaluable, Master the 10 Skills That You Need to Skyrocket Your Career. Maya, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Vincent. Very excited to be here. It's really great to be able to have you here. I've been so excited for this episode. You know, you've had a wildly successful career in marketing at some of the world's leading brands. I'm curious if there's a defining moment for you that really influenced your leadership style. Yeah, this is actually a great story. So I didn't plan on being a manager. It kind of happened by mistake. So when I was in my first marketing role, I was working for a PR company and we were about five people at the time. Uh, and we were all working like account executives. We all had customers, but the company was growing really quickly. And our founders were really focused on bringing in more clients and things were kind of getting out of hands. We had too many customers, things were falling between the cracks and it was just hard to keep an eye and continue to deliver great results. And as an employee, I saw that and I don't know, it just bugged me. I, I saw a problem. I wanted to fix it. So um, I just had this weird Jerry Maguire moment where um, I told myself, you know, you've got to do something about it. Sat down, created a plan, which was basically a couple of bullet points on a Word document, reached out to the founder of the company and said, hey, I know you're super busy with bringing in new clients, but things are not working here with the account executives. Um, I think you need to hire a manager. I think you need to bring in someone who can really help us all align and work on the same things and use templates. And he was very excited to hear me say that and basically looked back at me and said, you know what, you're absolutely right. Why don't you become the new manager? If you were able to come up with this idea, you can probably solve the problem. And just like that, in one day, I became a manager and had a team to lead. Yeah, you know, my journey was was pretty similar to that too. And it's a there's a radical shift that you take when your job is to be the best at what you do as an individual contributor to then leading and influencing and delivering results really through a team and with a team um, as opposed to what you can control, which is yourself. Like, how did that transition go for go for you? Yeah, I actually struggled with it a lot because I was used to being that individual contributor. I always felt like I know how to get things done and I wanted everything to be done my way. But there aren't enough hours 
in a day, if you have a team of five, which is what I had at the time, you can't still do your day-to-day -day job and actually be a good manager. So for a couple of months, I struggled. I did both. I worked around the clock until I realized it's just, you know, it's not going to work. I have to let go. I have to learn how to trust my team and how to empower them to do things the way I think they should be done. So it was painful, but um, it was a learning process. And after that, I never tried to be an, an IC and a manager uh, at the same time. Yeah, and that's where first-time people leaders so commonly struggle with delegation because you know the mindset is it's just faster if I do it myself and then I can make sure that it's done the right way. And you know, one of the biggest shifts in that leadership journey is the understanding and realization that when you invest in your people, you know, there's times, uh, there's times where then those people take it to the next level. Um, but it does take time to be able to really nurture and help others be successful and um, along the way. So I love hearing that uh, that story from you. You know, usually when you hear the word greedy, that's not a characteristic, at least for me, I don't want other people to go, oh, wow, Vince is really greedy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take that as a good thing. But, you know, you actually advocate that everybody should be long-term greedy. What exactly do you mean by that? Yeah, that's, I actually use the word greedy to make it a little bit more interesting. So that's actually part of um, what I teach in the book, that if you want to have that growth mindset, if you want to have an owner's mindset, meaning you can see the bigger picture and the details, you really need to learn how to become long-term greedy. And the, it's actually very simple. All it means is that you don't just focus on what's happening right now and what you can get immediately, uh, but you also start thinking about the bigger picture and whether or not that decision you're making, that uh, specific project you wanna work on, whether or not it's going to affect you in the long term and how. And once you stop thinking just in terms of, you know, what can I get right now, you start making better decisions um, pretty much like what we just talked about, right? So if I get a job done as a manager myself, yeah, it will probably happen faster uh, and it will be done the way I think it should be done. But in the long term, I'm not going to empower my team. They're not going to be uh, able to do their job well and I'm going to drown under the, the amount of work that I have to do. But if I'm long-term greedy, I'm going to say, you know what? It's not going to be perfect right now. The next couple of weeks, Things are going to be a mess because I still have to teach my team. But if I take that approach in the long term, I'll have an amazing team that can take on any work that I give them. And we're going to be able to grow together. Yeah. And I love how you're teaching others about this owner's mentality because there's such a difference between being an employee of a company and trying to do your best there and really understanding the owner's mentality and how you can truly become invaluable to a business. Um, last year, marketers had to adjust their budgets. You know, the 2020 was not a year that anybody had expected and things definitely didn't go to plan, but they adjusted their budgets to be able to move from things like physical to virtual campaigns while also having to remain sensitive to messaging about the pandemic, high unemployment rates, and of course, social justice. What do you think are the biggest trends that marketers need to pay attention to in this upcoming year in 2021? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. And I actually think we're going to do less, not more. I think we're going to go back to basics of marketing, to really understanding people, to really understanding market uh, and the problem. We'll go back to investing in brand 
because we want more engagement with our customers and we want to build real trust and real relationships. Um, I also would say marketing will actually have more responsibility, um, especially for, re for revenue, just because, you know, it's going to be more complicated to get there. It's going to be more competitive. So we're going to have to get really creative uh, and figure out how to do things in a more cost efficient way, but also in a way that gets people engaged because this, this is basically what everyone wants right now, right? We're all closed in our homes. We don't get to see our family and friends the way we want to. We don't have that connection. So you, companies will really have to take that leap into brand marketing and into building real relationships. And we've all been talking about it for years, but I think we're gonna see more companies actually embracing this mindset. Um, I think we've seen a change where marketers are more revenue focused for sure. And uh, this is something that's a, a shift from, you know, marketing decades ago where marketing was perceived to be about things like brand awareness and about, um, you know, campaigns like that. You know, what, what types of other changes do you see? You mentioned closer relationship with account executives and, and sales teams. Tell me more about how a marketer can really take this mindset of being able to directly drive revenue. Yeah, um, I think this was also empowered by the fact that we have so much technology now that allows us to measure what we're doing. So we're far, far from the Mad Men days where all marketing did was come up with these fancy, fun, sometimes um, interesting slogans or um, ads that you can run on TV. And now marketing is a huge part of the revenue center within pretty much every company. And I think what marketers should probably focus on is really understanding how the business works. You want to understand pricing and packaging. You want to understand the customer journey. And you really need to know the market, what's going on with your competitors, what people are expecting and I think the art here is how you manage to combine all of that information into an insight that will actually allow you to drive revenue. So you just have to be very conscious. I used to say, you know, you should be able to measure everything that you do in marketing. And while I still think we should all be data driven in our decisions, I do believe that there are things that you're going to be able to feel and see in the market, even if you don't have the numbers for it. So it's a combination of being very data driven, looking at the numbers, tracking everything that you do, but trusting that, you know, if you give it enough time, you will actually start seeing some of these results, um, even uh, in terms of awareness and brand recognition. Yeah, that makes so much sense to me. Tell me about, you know, in your role right now, you know, the, the role of the marketer has really changed. I know in my last role as a CMO, it was, you know, typically marketing 
is separate from product. And yet, you know, what we saw was areas where the company was really collaborating well, marketing had a direct impact on the product roadmap. Are you seeing that type of, um, that, are you seeing that come to life across companies as well? I think so. There's a lot more awareness to what we call now product-led growth. Um, and I think marketers are a big part of that specific initiative. And it's actually something that I'm doing right now. Um, I'm looking into ways to grow from a marketing perspective, but a lot of those ideas actually involve the product and how we can change it to either you know, create more network effects or help people discover us more quickly. So I think there really needs to be a lot of collaboration, not just you know, uh, in the old way of, hey, we have a product launch, maybe marketing should you know, kind of take that to market, but how do we think more strategically and build tools within the product that are actually going to drive our growth. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, it's a it's a tough time right now, especially for college students that are looking to launch a career amidst, you know, the highest unemployment since the Great Depression. Like what advice would you give to somebody who is looking to launch a marketing career right now in the current environment? Yeah, I I actually thought about this a lot. I thought what would have happened if I had to start all over again? And I think what I would highly recommend is step number one, decide what area of marketing you want to specialize in, because marketing is such a broad discipline. You can do, you know, product marketing and demand generation. Um, you can be responsible for communications. You can do SEO. It is so broad that if you try to capture everything, you're not going to become great at anything. So I would say try to figure out where you fit in and where you want to learn more. And a really easy way to do this is literally to Google um, most, um, most common marketing roles and just look at the list. Start reading. See if any of those actually get you excited and then go deeper, right? Do the research. Find people who are doing that work right now. And talk to them, ask them, how did you get here? What are the most important skills that I should be working on to get to where you are today? And I think if you do that, it's going to give you a lot more focus. And if you're able to secure an internship or a first job, and you kind of continue within the same discipline, so maybe you do an internship in product marketing, and then you take uh, a product marketing manager role, I just think it will be a much easier uh, way to get into the industry in comparison to doing a lot of different things um, and then kind of trying to figure out because companies usually want to hire people who are experts in what they do. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say you shouldn't try anything else, but I think if you start by being very focused, very quickly you can start expanding and learning a little bit more and then taking it to more towards leadership roles. I couldn't agree with that more that being really focused uh, even allows you to be able to stand out as a job candidate you know, in in my last role, as we were going out, you know, if we were looking for somebody that was going to manage events or conferences, the candidates that really stood out were the ones that really focused and said, I get energy out of coordinating, you know, conferences, and this is what I do better than anybody else. And there's some marketers, entry-level marketers that really try to stay broad and they try to be the generalist. And, you know, it's, it's a riskier move uh, to do that. I think the other thing, too, that uh, at least throughout my career that I've seen is no decision is permanent. 
And so just because you're making a decision to specialize in one area, whether it's SEO or content marketing or paid acquisition, as an example, that decision isn't permanent. It could be what you're doing for the next few years and you get really, really good at it. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't move over to another area. And especially once you're already at that company, it becomes a lot easier to be able to transition to a new area versus um, trying to do that transition at a new organization where the leaders are banking on the fact that you have the learning agility to be able to pick that up. And on top of that, that you're somebody that they can they can trust. Yeah. and, And if you look at my career I actually had to do that. So I moved from PR and social media into digital marketing, into product marketing. And I have to say, it's a really hard transition to make. And I think my life would have been so much easier if I kind of stuck to one discipline, at least for the first you know, um, couple of years, moving between jobs, and then maybe start thinking about that expansion. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense uh, to me. And and if you really gain mastery of that one discipline and your leadership um, team knows that you're highly likely to have the aptitude to succeed in another area, it becomes a lot easier to be able to gain the trust to say, hey, this person, Maya's a, a, a top performer. Let's move her over to this other area because it's a less risky move than even hiring somebody externally who we don't have a, a good understanding of their track record. So I love I love that piece of advice. You know, you've been a global product marketing leader at companies like Google and Microsoft. What led to your career, you know, taking a move into product marketing? How did you make that transition? And uh, what did you learn through along the way? Yeah, so if I think about my superpower and what I do best, it's always been understanding my customers, understanding the market and figuring out how to put them together in a way that makes sense. But I never had a name for it. It's basically what I did at every company I worked for. And when I joined Microsoft, I actually had a completely different um, title when I joined. But all the work I was doing was product marketing, right? I had to build our messaging and positioning and really take a new product to market. So eventually I just you know, looked at everything that I was doing and realized, hey, this actually has a name, it's called product marketing. I went to my manager and I asked if it would be okay to kind of update my title to reflect what I was doing. Um, and they were happy to, to do that for me. So that was kind of how I got into product marketing, just by doing it. That's, that's really, really great. Uh, how would you describe product marketing to somebody who's not familiar with the different areas of marketing? You know, what were what were some of the projects that you worked on that really gave you energy? Yeah, um, so I'm I'm consider myself more of a people's person. So I really like that connection with people. I like psychology. I like to figure out how people think, and I think it really merged well into what product marketing is. But product marketing is so broad, right? You can think about it like a funnel. So you need to think about uh, the market, the industry, your competitors. Uh, You need to think about the persona that you're serving, your customers, right? But you also need to be able to take all that information and turn it into insights so that you can create messaging and positioning that really resonate with people. But it doesn't end there. Then you need to go into the more practical aspect of launching a product or deciding on your go-to-market strategy creating sales enablement. So it's a really, really broad discipline. And I think what ties everything together is that ability 
to really synthesize a lot of information. So anyone who has lateral thinking skills, I think will be a great product marketer. Um, but I worked on projects throughout this entire funnel. So I did a lot of work at the top of the funnel, really understanding my customers and the market. But I also did a lot of the execution, building sales enablement, um, and just figuring out how to go to market. I love that. Talk, talk to me about the sales enablement. You know, th there's always there's the companies talk about like this push and between the sales team and the and the marketing team and high performing teams that are focused on revenue and growth. You know, almost have the culture of being the same team. What are some of the things that you think can be done on both sides to be able to, to build that really collaborative relationship? Yeah, well, I'm doing it now. Hopefully, so. In my mind, you know, I'm the marketing leader, my sales leader, we need to be best friends. And we spend a lot of time together. My first two weeks, I had 30 minutes every single day with our sales leader, just to really understand what's happening, what are the difficulties that they're facing, and trying to figure out how I can help. And you really need to forget about your ego, forget about what you need, and think about your sales partner as a customer that you need to serve. And I think it works both ways, right? Because we also need to get a lot of information from our salespeople to know what's working, what's not working, to see how people actually react. So it's it needs to be a really strong friendship. We need to be completely aligned on what success looks like. So we need to decide together what the funnel looks like. What is an MQL? What is an SQL? How do we actually agree on those terms and then go out and actually execute and keep each other constantly updated so we know what's working and what's not working? Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. You know, for the audience, MQL, Marketing Qualified Lead, Sales uh, SQL, Sales Qualified Lead. I think one of the most important metrics that shows a healthy relationship is is how much overlap is there? Is there alignment on what the ideal customer profile uh, looks like between teams? I talked to a lot of uh, marketers and I forget who shared this with me. I'll have to figure out who it was and attribute it to them in the comments um, on the video after, after this gets posted. But they had made an argument to me. We were at some conference and they had said that a good marketing leader knows their sales leader's coffee order meaning that yeah. you have coffee with them so often that you actually have their coffee order memorized. And I love that because it's just like this, this small little thing that just speaks to that relationship. And in the, in the healthiest of relationships, especially right now being virtually, you know, it can be so easy to be able to like send a Slack message or send an email. And I think the tightest relationships that I've ever seen is literally a pick up the phone and call if you're not in the same place. And like, that's the type of relationship that that exists across the organization. You also kind of start, you started your career working closely with account executives um, as well. I think that's another thing that market, even if you're going into marketing, um, what do you think about marketers making jumps into BDR roles or marketers making uh, jumps where they spend some time, you know, on the sales team to be able to see what it's like on that side? Yeah. First, I think I know where that um, reference came from. It's Udi Lettergore, the CMO of Gong. I love right. Udi. He's great. It was, it was, um, yeah. <laughs> and when it when it comes to making those moves, I think the closest uh, proximity in terms of really understanding your customers would be a move from a BDR role to a marketer role or vice versa. Um, although I think some AEs might want to do some of those switches. 
Um, but I really think it all comes down to really being able to take information and turn it into insight. So I've seen it so many times with marketers that they try to stick to the playbook. So if you know, they see something plain and simple, they just take it as is and tell me, okay, this is the, this is the answer. But you need to dig a little bit deeper when you deal with people. And I think you really need to be able to connect different dots so that you come up with a new insight and um, create something new, but something that really makes sense to, to, to people, to the people that you're targeting um, as a marketer. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And I mean, speaking of him and Gong, like the, that's where the tools that marketers have available to them to be able to understand how their messaging actually hits the client or the customer like that's what is the test of good messaging. It has nothing to do with writing it in a document and how it's just rolled out is how is it actually executed and how is the customer actually reject um, reacting to, you know, specific messaging on overcoming objections or positioning um, positioning of the message. I love that. You know, many Vitan Council members are starting new jobs this year. Um, one of the one of the uh, everybody who does SEO knows that featured snippets are like the the golden uh, snippet. And one of the ones that uh, goes to a Vitan blog post today is how to announce your new job on LinkedIn. So if you do that Google search with a featured snippet, and like I've seen thousands more uh, people hitting that blog post, so people are starting new jobs, which is great. Um, what advice would you give to people in their first 30 days, in their first 90 days about how to hit the ground running the right way and how to build relationships the right way as they join new organizations? Yeah, so I'm a strong believer in, you know, your thir first 30 days are your first impression, basically, on the company. This is how you position yourself. So I really think you need to hit the ground running. What I usually recommend is that you start before your first day. So the minute you sign the contract, that's when you actually start your job. And the first thing you can do is to figure out um, how to do some sort of um, an individual um, onboarding, right? So instead of waiting for the company to spend the first two, maybe three weeks teaching you about everything that they do, Take the time to do the research yourself. If they have a product, download the product, use the product, become you know, familiar with, with everything that happens on the platform. Um, if this is a public company, go listen to earning calls. You want to know what they're struggling with, and you're going to get all that information. And obviously, you know, if you prepared for your interviews, then you know a little bit about the people you're going to be working with. You know about their market. Uh, but take the time to really dig deep. And if you can, ask the company to provide information or documentation ahead of time. And here's why. There's a huge difference between, you know, stepping in, it's your first day, and all you do is ask for information and then take two weeks, you disappear, you basically go and learn. As opposed to it's your first day, you have so much information, you can already ask smart questions. You can already identify gaps. You can already give people feedback and have work conversations as opposed to introduction. Um, and I think it just positions you, you know, completely differently than anyone else. And it will also allow you to actually make an impact within your 30, first 30 days. And I think, you know, this is one of the biggest things you can do. If you can find one thing, and it can be small, it doesn't have to be huge either a problem that you can address, a gap you identify, maybe a process that you've seen work differently somewhere else and you can optimize. 
And I think most people are a little bit afraid, especially if you're very early in your career, to speak up because you're new, because who are you to, to give feedback? But it's actually a blessing because when you're new, you have this fresh look on everything that's happening. You're not biased. You don't have all um, the group think that happens when you work for a team for a while. And I really think you need to use that to find those problems, to flag different things that are not working. Because once you do that, you get the opportunity to fix them, which basically gives you a win within your first 30 days. And like I said, it can be small. It doesn't have to be big, right? So if I look at my first 30 days at Jumpstart right now as the VP of marketing, one small thing that I found that we can fix is our demo page. So we didn't have the best conversion rates, not what I was expected. And changing that page is actually relatively simple. You need to change the copy. You maybe need to change some of the um, forms that are on it and put it out there and start experimenting. So within the first 30 days, I'm already going to see some improvement. And I think if you approach it with that mindset, it's just going to give you the reputation um, as a go-getter, as someone who gets things done. And it will help you moving forward because this is how people will see you at the company. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. That those are absolutely essential things to be able to do in the time, you know, post job offer to starting a job. And somebody you and I both know, Austin Belsack, actually advocates that you should do that in your value value validation project even yeah. before you interview at that company. And, and I agree with this. I think, you know, your top three employer prospects, your top five employer prospects, you know, one of the things that he says is, you know, go interview customers of that company um, or clients of that company and actually hear about their experience or, you know, talk to people who are not customers and, and understand, seek to understand why they're not customers of this company. I absolutely love that. You know, one of my good friends who was a former product manager at Uber um, before he interviewed at Uber. So after he got an interview, but before his actual interview, he signed up to be an Uber driver and he did his first right. five rides. And I mean, like what a way to be able to stand out, not just as a new employee hitting the ground running, but as a candidate going into an interview being able to speak to the experience. And I love what you're talking about there. I think I think everybody's starting a new job. Um, you know, if it's a consumer company, join the email newsletter. If it's a consumer company, definitely buy the product. Um, but even if it's a B2B company, you know, submit your name as a lead and start to understand, you know, how quickly does uh, a BDR or AE reach out to you? What is the messaging that goes out before um, that? And it starts to give you a perspective of, of where you can potentially make an impact and where the low hanging fruit is. So we're starting a new year. Uh, this year, I'm going to try to be a nicer person, put, and not that I'm like a mean person in general, but I want to put more goodness out into the world. And that's one of my goals this year, along with uh, eating healthier. Um, you know, are there habits for you that, uh, whether it's a daily habit, weekly habit that have helped you stay focused and productive during a pandemic? You know, what are some of your goals this year? Yeah, well, I am a creature of habits. So I have very specific habits day by day. So in any given day, if you come into my house, you can anticipate exactly what I'll be doing. I work out uh, three or four times a week. I eat lunch at the same time. I watch TV in the evening to wind down and I go to bed at exactly the same time. So for me, just 
keeping that routine, having very specific blocks of time for things that I need to do, that's been super helpful. It just keeps me focused on what I need to do and it eliminate any questions. Oh, I have a free hour. What should I do with it? To me, that's confusing. I'll just sit down and watch TV. And I prefer not to do that if I can do something a little bit more impactful. Um, eating healthy, something I implemented probably about five years ago where throughout the week, I do not consume flour or sugar. Uh, well, I try, let's say 90% of the time I don't consume flour or sugar. On the weekends, everything goes. So the first couple of weeks, by the way, every weekend was a feast, like I couldn't stop eating just because you know I had that need. But today, I, I don't even binge that much because I don't need it anymore. I think your sugar levels kind of uh, hit a plateau and you don't need that hit every single time. And working out, that's, that's like my Zen moment. I do yoga three times a week and I run. And when I run, it's just like this amazing experience of not thinking about anything for an hour and it really clears my mind. So yeah, those, those are my things. I love that. And you're actually the only person I, I think I've ever talked to that has done the weekday diet. And I actually did that in Los Angeles. When I was living in LA, I was a weekday vegetarian. But I, And so Monday through Friday at lunch, I was a vegetarian. And then Friday dinner through Sunday dinner, you know, anything goes. It's so much easier to be able to stick with it um, then when you try to go all in 70, you know, 70% of the time. And I mean, I still reduced my meat intake by, you know, 66%, um, by doing that, but it's, it's so much easier to be able to make it an ongoing, uh, habit. Um, you know, thank you so much for being able to join this show and you're welcome back as a guest on this show. Anytime I've had a blast being able to, uh, chat with you today. Yeah, thank you so much, Vincent. Same here. And I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. Yeah, absolutely. So make sure to follow Maya on her LinkedIn profile. You can also check out more information at www.mayagrossman.com. And of course, her number one best-selling book, Invaluable, Master the 10 Skills That You Need to Skyrocket Your Career is available in paperback or Kindle version, however you read your books. Maya, thank you so much. And thanks again. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining Vitan Council Live. Starting next week, this show is going to be moving to Thursdays at noon Central Time. We'll be on the same place, uh, live on Instagram or uh, live on LinkedIn Live. For a full schedule of Vitan events, you can also follow our calendar at www.vitan.com. For more information about applying to join the Vitan Council, head over to www.vitan.com. Let me know your thoughts about what you want to be able to hear on future episodes and guests that you would like to see in future episodes. You can also text me directly at 615-667-8433. Again, that's 615-667-8433. You'll be able to add yourself to my cell phone's contact list. That way, when you text, I know who you are. Take care, everybody, and we'll see you next time.